and that it was all cash money and it was friends and families and going to these nice houses and stuff. So you kind of felt like it was like you, if you were invited, it was like you were invited into this almost secret society or that uh, this special group and that you were special to be able to be part of this. So people would want to be, become part of it because they think, oh, oh my God, I got invited to this thing. Like I, to, for me, listen, for you to convince somebody that this scam is legitimate or that you're going to make a bunch of money, you really only have to have confidence and a little bit more knowledge. If you have a little bit more knowledge on a subject, you seem like an expert because you know more than I do. So if you say you're an expert and you know more than I do and you sound confident and believable, you know, that's confidence is just believable. You know, it, it's sincerity. Like, I, I truly believe you're, what you're saying. At the very least, you believe it. So if you have those things, you can talk people into pretty much anything. Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I appreciate you guys checking out the channel. Uh, I'm going to be uh, interviewing James Hergott. And I just finished watching his uh, movie. I actually watched part of it about a, about two years ago, but I just fought, finished watching this movie. It's about a, a pyramid scheme, and it's based on a scheme that he was. Well, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. So anyway, um, it's a it's a super cool story. Uh, it's it's a super cool movie, and uh, so check out the interview. Yeah, I can't believe this. So that was you in the in the lead role. I. Um, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't. Yeah. Well, you know, like I, well, I was losing my hair like over time. I think yeah. you did that, but you got like a surgery or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did a couple of them. Yeah. So bad. <laughs> I was losing it over time. And then like two years ago, I just decided to shave it, make, made a big difference, but I kind of like it. I, I'm kind of glad I didn't get the plugs. Cause I, I know Joe Rogan talked about it. He had that done. And then it left certain scars. So when he did decide to shave his head, he couldn't go back after that. But, right. Uh, you have to have, a, I guess you have to have the right look for it to be able to pull it off though. <laughs> but I mean, uh, I, I guess, I mean, I, I, you, you do, I guess I, I, I would like one more surgery. It's yeah. just not as thick. My hair is not as thick as I wanted, even though everybody's like, no, it's, what are you talking about? It looks fine. It really doesn't <laughs> like if you hit the light hits, the wrong way, then uh, it, it just looks a little thin. And but then again, I'm I'm 53 years old, so at 53, like you know, how thick's your hair supposed to be? Well, I'm 46, but then the next problem is then it starts turning white. So oh no, mom, I'm way past that. Like it's there's there's all kinds of gray. I mean, it's 50 <clears throat> gray. Yeah, yeah. You so, I got gel in it right now, so I just decided to give in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So when, when did you, so t tell me about the origins of the, well, first of all, first let's, let's start. Uh, like where, where were you born? You were born in Canada? Yeah, I was born in uh, Cornwall, Ontario, um, kind of near Montreal. Uh, and then um, I grew up uh, just in the suburb of Toronto, a small town called Coburg, uh, 13,000 people and um, spent most of my life there, but I lived in Hollywood for a number of years as well, kind of doing my film career stuff. Okay. Um, so, uh, I mean, you don't sound Canadian. Well, like I said, I lived 12 years in, um, in California and like Newport beach. Also, my dad was an airline pilot. So he lived in Florida, actually Clearwater, uh, area down by, by you. 
And um, so I spent a lot of my summers there. So I kind of like am an American Canadian, I guess, hybrid. Well, um, are your parents Canadian? No, they, uh, yeah, they were both uh, born in Canada. But like I said, my dad ended up moving to Florida. Um, as a pilot, he could kind of fly out of wherever. And um, so I, I spent a lot of time living in the Clearwater area. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. Um, it's just, I, it's funny because I talked to somebody the other day that was like, actually, was it yesterday? The day before. And he's Canadian. Um, and I mean, it was the, it was full blown Canadian. You know, oh, yeah. so uh, which just makes me smile for some reason, just hearing him, you know, with all the hey, hey, you know, and the um, but anyway, it's funny. He's actually got a good story, too. I'm, I'm going to interview him. He was he was um, shoot. He was robbing banks with uh, of ATMs. Mm. Like, I mean, it was he's in Canada. It was actually a good story. So. Uh, so, I mean, you know, that that could be an interesting uh, story. And he was the the final chase when they caught him was like a helicopter. He's got the footage and everything. Yeah, that, that's wild. I mean, it, you know, the accident depends what part of Canada. But like even when I lived in in California for long enough, I would call back to my mom. And to me, it was almost like it was so thick. It was like a Scottish accent or something. Right. So, <laughs> it just depends. Well, so you moved it. So that's kind of, so what's the genesis of the movie was that you were in, cause I, when you just said you had moved to, um, uh, to California, like that's the same thing in the movie you had moved to, you know, you had, when we talked, you had said that the movie was kind of based loosely on, or based on a, a pyramid scheme. But I mean, so far it's following pretty closely to your life. And you said you were there when this whole thing kind of unraveled. Well, actually, the pyramid scheme, so it really happened in Canada. So okay. I was invited out to a meeting, and I was in university taking uh, film and philosophy, and I got invited to this, like, thing. Uh, and it, it was basically this meeting. And, like, keep in mind, so this is around 1999. So I'm, like, 1920, 22, something like that. And, I, like, I'd never heard of a pyramid scheme. Like, this is really pre-internet. Like, you had the internet, but it's not the type of thing where you could, you wouldn't have. But that was just, just starting, yeah. It was just starting um, out at that point. And also, like, being, like, my age, like, 1920, like, why would I ever hear of a pyramid scheme or Ponzi scheme? Like, unless you studied it in, in you know, some kind of history class or something, how would you ever really know about that? It wasn't really um, something that at least I was aware of. So I, I had no context of this. All I knew is I got invited out to this meeting and it was this thing called the Muffin Club. So I'm already like curious, what is this? And it was, there was different names for it. There was like women helping women and there was different things. It started out as a woman's group. I mean, who knows? It probably started way back further than that. So basically at the time you would take $5,000 and you would pay. So it had to wait till all eight people had agreed to put up their money. And then what would happen is that it was all cash and that the person that was at the top would get 5,000 from each person and then, and then walk away with this money. And that would be like a celebration. So usually they would do things with the money. Like when they met with the person, they'd put it in like a, a wine bottle and like curl it up or they would put it in a, 
a McDonald's Happy Meal or whatever and, and give it as a presentation to, and there was different names. There wasn't necessarily a top person or president. It was, you know, uh, madam or whatever it was. And like sometimes in, um, uh, it was called like an airplane. So you'd be the captain or like, there was all these different configurations of it. But basically the top person would uh, walk away with this uh, $35,000. So, well, that's it would actually be 40,000, but they'd usually take a spot at the bottom and, and go back around. It would be called rolling. And then you would invite out your friends and more and more people would join. And then the next two people would split off and there would be two groups and it would be their turn to collect the money. So I, I kind of went home and, and they, they, just like in the movie, they explained it with a deck of cards. It got a little bit more advanced over time, but that was how it got started. And then some people took it as an offshoot and they started one that was like a more of a VIP one where you, people had already rolled. So you would take 10,000 and then the payout was 80,000. So I saw a number of people that would do this. And the day that they actually joined, it would build up and they would roll out that day. So they would come to the meeting, pay their 5,000 and then walk away with 35,000 and enter the next one. And sometimes people would roll two or three times. So you had people sometimes in a week or two making $250,000 cash. So as somebody that was like 19 years old, I was like, this is, this is wild. Like I never heard of anything like this. And then it, it expanded out. So there were so many people in, uh, in Southern Ontario, which is the province that I lived in, um, that were part of this. And Sorry, obviously we need more and more people. Yeah, go for it. Um, I, so were there in the original group, just like because you what you're explaining is very much kind of what happens in the movie. Yeah. Were there people that were saying, hey, this doesn't sound right? Or is this a pyramid scheme? Like the person explaining it, was he able to kind of quash all of those, um, you know, all of those questions or, you know, like, did he have rebuttals? Because in in the in the movie like as these guys are saying are bringing up you know ish, saying hey is this an issue you have like you have the judge come in you have the car guy come in you have like it's almost like it was a choreographed scam in the movie because suddenly oh no this guy's a judge he says it's okay like and he's like yes i'm currently a judge i'm this but then he wouldn't give him anybody <laughs> they wouldn't give him his name so it was you know, I was, I was like, what well, God now I was like, man, having a guy who says he's a judge there. And then when the kid wants to know, well, what's your name? And th there are people there to kind of like shut him up. Like, Oh, enough already. Like, so it was, it was great. Cause I was like, wow, it's funny. Cause you're, I wonder if those guys are plants. Like, were there those types of things going on when you first heard about it? Did people bring up issues and the person pitching it had a rebuttals to those issues or what? Well, I extrapolated what I presented that actually took place over multiple meetings, but I kind of like front loaded things, maybe a little bit more than happened in real life. I wouldn't say there was that much skepticism, to be honest. I would say almost everybody that that showed up came became part of it, because first of all, they were invited usually by a friend or family, and then they right. saw the people making money fast. So it was sort of like not even really questioned. It was like. This is sort of like, and a lot of these typical things I think take place in pyramid schemes, Ponzi schemes. I mean, you hear it now with, um, you know, the stuff with the cryptocurrency and everything. So a lot of the presentation was the government wants to hold you down. Um, that's why we're doing this cash. Uh, you, you know, that this is a way for you to get ahead. And, and there's other people 
in secret societies that they do things like this to get ahead. But this is a way that we can work together and get ahead. Um, there was discussion about how the Amish kind of did that. Like they would get together and build one person's right. house and then build another person's house. Um, there was maybe a little bit of skepticism, but there was answers to all this stuff. Like people would say, well, is this a pyramid? But the thing was that it, it actually separated into separate groups each time the person rolled. So it was technically a pyramid in terms of the philosophical concept of you have more and more people enter. But it was, you know, all these groups kept splitting off and going to different locations. You would still have the problem of running out of enough people. But in the group, they would say, no, no, because you would get to the top, then you start off at the bottom again, and everybody kind of has their turn. And then sort of another thing that would kind of come up is uh, people would say, look, you, you do like a multi-level marketing like uh, Amway or one of these things, and you end up with a bunch of soap in your garage, whereas like this is like clean. This is just cash money. You, you put this money in, you get this money out. You don't have to, um, nobody knows about it tax-wise. Technically, I think in Canada, under a certain amount or up to a certain amount, you could consider a gift. So that was another answer. Okay, up to 5,000 is considered a gift. So this is cash money, it's a gift, and you get a gift from all of these individuals, and that's how, how it is legal. And so it was presented as legal. So there wasn't plants, although there would be people that did join that were, uh, were judges, lawyers, cops, all this sort of thing. So it definitely gave it, um, it was authentic. And then what would happen is the meetings would get held, and I, I tried to portray this in the movie, at nicer and nicer houses. So I noticed that. Yeah, so I that was- The last one is on the boat. Uh, yeah, that's right, yeah. And there was actually like, people would do things, like they would buy a brand new car, uh, with the money and they'd have it delivered to the meeting. So they'd yeah. be like, oh, sorry, I have to interrupt the meeting right now. And this guy would show up with like a fancy car, like we presented in the movie yeah. <laughs> at the yeah, meeting. The Viper. The Viper. The Viper, yeah. And, and that thing about like the, um, the priest uh, pouring like the holy water, that was actually a real thing that happened too. There's even a priest in it. And he like blessed the car when it showed up. So it wasn't really like, it wasn't portrayed in an ominous way. It was all like, this is a thing we're all doing and we're making money in a fast way. And, and keep in mind, again, I don't think people really knew what a Ponzi scheme or pyramid scheme is. And I think it was presented in a different way than that. And, and like I said, we still see this with crypto. And that's kind of the interesting thing about this. I mean, in filmmaking, there's an expression that like everything old is new again. It's just sort of repackaged in a different way. And I think that's what you're seeing now. And I think at that point in time, that was the configuration of of it that was unique and that it was all cash money and it was friends and families and going to these nice houses and stuff. So you kind of felt like it was like you, if you were invited, it was like you were invited into this almost secret society or that uh, this special group and that you were special to be able to be part of this. So people would want to become part of it because they think, oh, oh my God, I got invited to this thing. and all their friends and family are making money and they're telling them, bro, I just made this much money, but you still run out at some point. And that's, you know, like you said, they, they slowly kind of start to turn on each other. And then when, what about when the, when the two guys, uh, when, you know, the character, I mean, it's you, but the lead character is brought to, to, um, gold's gym and brought in the back, like, Hey, let, let, let's talk to you out here. Like, you know, those two, those two, you know, knuckleheads, like they didn't understand the concept. Like you have to do something for the money. No, no, I want my 80,000. Okay. But you have to go 
find these people, have a, you know, bring them in and no, I want my 80 grand. It's like, you're not getting your 80 grand. Like, what are you talking about? How did you not understand this? Like, he's been known to cure insecurity just with his laugh. His organ donation card lists his charisma. His smile is so contagious. Vaccines have been created for it. He is the most interesting man in the world. I don't typically commit crime, but when I do, it's bank fraud. Stay greedy, my friends. Support the channel. Join Matthew Cox's Patreon. Yeah, so uh, so I, I had a tight budget for this movie. It was like thirty or 40000 to shoot the entire movie. And I had to like cut corners because actually what what really happened was more interesting than that. So a friend of mine, he had a nice car and was in this. And so his car was set on fire. So, and, but it, it, what actually happened was that it was kind of like this. It was two knuckleheads that wanted to get in. And the one guy was on a, um, he had like the ankle monitor and stuff like that. He was like, he was on, what he was on home arrest. Yeah. Like he was arrest? Like a, a biker dude. And he wanted to get in. And so he offered my friend, he said, okay, if I get in, not only will I get into this, but I'll offer you protection. So if anything happens, you'll be protected. So and he said, but I'm not going to put up the money. You put up the money for me, but I'll protect you if anything goes wrong or whatever. And then it turned out that it was that guy that actually set the car, his buddies that actually set the car on fire so that he would go back in fear and, and pay the protection money and put that guy for free into, into this, uh, into this muffin right. club. So I, it would have been great to have like, you know, the pyrotechnics and everything actually have a car set on fire, but we just kind of changed it to uh, a guy gets beat up scene. But I mean, truth is stranger than fiction with a lot of these things, because, you know, with reviews, people, people would come out and, and, and like, admittedly, like it's a low budget movie. It's shot poorly and all this stuff, but, in terms of like the story, the story's basically real, but people would say, oh, there's no way there's, this is real. And, you know, people wouldn't fall for this and all these things. I mean, there's news articles about this stuff. And, uh, but that was kind of the interesting part of it. And of course, this is pre-made off. This is before the 2008 crash and all this stuff. And people would say, oh, the, it, people aren't this greedy. Nobody would fall for this. And um, so this happened in Canada. So when I moved to Newport Beach, I said it there because obviously that was, you know, a wealthy community. Um, but there were similar things in Newport Beach. And, you know, there's all kinds of scams that were taking place in that that area. And as we've seen since then, many people that were extremely wealthy have got caught up in these type of schemes. And, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, some of these stories you've written about some of these stories. Right. So it seems to be kind of a, a universal truth. And again, it wasn't presented like this is some sort of nefarious thing that people are taking part in it was just like bro come out to this thing you know there's a meeting on wednesday you got to come to this thing and then you would come out and then you saw all your friends and family making all this money it was wild right it, it yeah i i like i i you know i i liked what i thought was okay so two things one you know listen i so i watched the first like 10 minutes of it right but then I, I was doing other stuff while I was listening to it. Listening to it is better than watching it mm -hmm. because you can hear, you know, it's more like a, a, a it's a becomes a podcast 
And so it's totally believable. Mm -hmm. Like, cause there were times when I went back and I would watch it for 20 for 10 minutes or something. And I would think, and, and there were times when, you know, where suddenly like the girls in the car, you know, making out with you and you guys are, and, and, and yet there's a camera there. It's like, okay, well, you know, and I understand you shot it like, like you were being followed for a thesis project. But the truth is, is like, they wouldn't, your, your guy, there were, we were, there was a lot of places that the camera was that it just wouldn't be, you know, that, so, so, you know, other than those one or two spots where I was like, all right, come on, it's, you know, like, like, that's not possible. Like th these guys aren't going to be in the middle of the night in a parking lot, hanging out with the camera. Like that's not going to happen. But other than one or two spots like that, um, you know, I, I thought it was great because it came off more like a, a podcast, you know, and, and I like I, I told you on the phone, I said, you know, what I thought would be amazing because you did do this back in the in early 2000s. Like there weren't camera phones everywhere. Like now, if you did it where it was a combination of not that you're going to remake it, but if that movie had been done using camera phones. A combination of camera phones, interviews, like it's a documentary, and then, of course, footage of, let's say they start, you know, people start pitching, you know, get the venues get bigger and bigger where people are like videoing, you know, the, the, the actual the actual pitches or the parties, because that does happen. You know, that could be, God, boy, the editing would be a bitch, but that would have been like, it would have been really real because then it would have been really kind of a Blair Witch project kind of thing. The second thing, not that I'm saying it was bad. I'm, I mean, in general, like when I first saw it, I thought, oh man, this is bad. But this time I, I you know, I watched the whole thing and what I, I was really honestly taken in by um, was the fact that was the progression. It's a, it's such a great progression and the rebuttals from when people did raise, uh, you know, raise issues about its legitimacy, the rebuttals were great. So over the course of the whole movie, you can totally feel like people would be taken in by this. Like, this is legitimate. Like, I can legitimately see how someone be, would be pitched in the, li the living room all the way up to the big, big parties. And that was great, too, because the first pitch, there's what, 10 people there, 12. And by the end, it looks like there's hundreds of people being pitched. Well, at least 100. Yeah, so, there, on that boat, I think there was about 400 people. Um, on the boat? Yeah. Okay, so about yeah, hundreds, hundreds. Yeah, so kind of how I did it. Like, so, yeah, I, if, it was, if it was now, I would totally do the camera phone. I mean, at the time, shot it digitally, so even like one of those Sony cameras back then, it cost 150,000 if you wanted to buy the camera, you know, it was like wow. 50,000 the lens. It was like, you know, we're talking again, this is like, you know, early 2000, like 2002, 2003 that I shot this. And um, so it was, it was, you know, very costly just to even shoot something in high definition at the time. And um, so tried to kind of like what, I, what I tried to do. And, and it's interesting because the, the critique at the time, I think it has held up in a way because the critique at the time is like the cameras are moving around too much. It's too, uh, you know, panning too fast. And you see this all the time in That's reality. Legit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, this yeah. is 20 years ago that pe people didn't really shoot with like 
kind of that reality style like they do now right. on the TV. So I wanted to be very naturalistic, but what I wanted to have, and this is what I'm proudest of with it, is it's very dense. So in other words, like every single person that was part of this had a storyline. So as we're kind of filming it and it's unfolding, you're hearing things like how they're talking about this. And there's one person where they saw about something online and there's another person where they got in because of this. And it's sort of building. So I wanted it to be something where subconsciously it's getting more and more elaborate as, as it goes on and more and more dense with all these stories. But you don't even notice it because it, it's happening you know, so slowly. So I, I think that it portrayed that well. And what I did with all of the actors that were in it is I had each of them have their own separate storyline. So they, they're all portraying that over and, and their own story arcs over this group of meetings. And, um, and they did a great job with that. And then of course, you know, it, it ends where it ends, but yeah, by the time uh, it got to the boat, there was 400 people. So it just kept expanding. And, and this was a real problem in real life because these things keep growing and growing and then you draw more attention because it grows. And then another thing that I wanted to portray is you get more knuckleheads. So when you start with a group of five or six or whatever, you know, it's kind of like, you know who they are. But by the time you start getting to 100, 200 people, it's like you don't even know who half the people are. Um, you don't know who they brought in. Just because of the laws of numbers, you're going to have idiots that come in. You, you know, you don't really know what's going on. So I, I kind of wanted to portray almost like a social experiment where you would witness this. And rather than you're kind of going along the journey, it's sort of like the journey's unfolding as, you, as, you're, as you're watching it. So um, I, I think I executed that. And it, <laughs> it's interesting how it went down. And, um, you know, there are people that actually saw it because when I, when I showed it for the first time in, in cons, at the film festival in France, there was people that came up to me and they thought it was real. So they would say like, oh, are you still with that girl? They would ask me all these questions and stuff. So it was interesting how it was. So I tried to kind of blur the lines between reality and fantasy. But th the funny thing is people thought it was so unrealistic, but then I guess you could say the trick on them was how real this actually was in real life. I was basically just putting in scenes that actually happened and maybe, like in the case of the guy getting or me getting beat up versus my car get, getting set on fire. Um, it was actually less dramatic in the movie. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. I, it was, it was, it was, it was good. It was, it was interesting. It definitely shows it's, Oh, I wish it had been like, I, I get that it's, ba it's, you know, you're saying basically it's super based on the real of what really happened. Like these are real, this really kind of unfold. It's just it, like, to me, I, you know, I, I would have preferred, you know, you really use the people's like, this is, this is where it happened. This is the person, these are the people that, it, you know what I'm saying? Like a documentary, like it really, not that it doesn't still, cause you're right. It does come off like, like, this is what really happened. Like these cameras were here and this and that. And that was the only, that was the only thing was like, you know, how are the cameras everywhere? Um, but you know, but that's also me looking at it. And honestly, when I look at things, I look at like, how would I shoot this? How would I, I think the average person just watches, mm -hmm. you know, that whole, they, they suspend any, any, any disbelief and just watching it. And as a result, you know, regardless, like you said, like the bulk of this whole thing, you know, legitimately happened. You just rearranged a couple of pieces. Um, but it, it, like I said, it's great. The progression is great. 
I thought it was great. Like I, like I said, the first 10 minutes I had watched it, I was like, nah, I'm not interested. But then when I came back, I was like, okay, I'm going to interview him. Let me watch the whole thing. So I, I watched, I bought it, by the way, on YouTube. Um, so I bought it and watched the whole thing. And, and, uh, I, it's funny. I told, uh, I told my girlfriend, I was like, I was like, this is really actually interested. Like I'm actually seriously it like I, I seriously interested in what's happening right now and I was kind of explaining like this is what's happening like you can see how these people are getting sucked in and and I said every time somebody comes up with a with a you know it, any type of doubt it's it's very quickly quashed but then I, I love when that when the newspaper article came out mm-hmm. you know you know and it, it was like like now there's just you can't say you don't know that this is this is you know fraud but you know you kept your the character keeps going though well and this is very typical in real life what happens then is that the people that are in the know then they say oh well you see this is why it's not working now so right. it's not my fault right it's not my fault that there's not more people or that you the numbers don't work obviously, but it's not my fault. It's the government. See, and they, they put out this bad press. So this is why things are drying up now. This is why we can't get new members. So they often use this as kind of an out. Um, and even within the movie, and this is something that happened in real life, it got more elaborate where now people started to trade artwork because artwork can have any value. So they would trade artwork for the money and do things to kind of try and spin it. I mean, um, maybe those things weren't as clear as they should have been in the movie, but um, but there was a lot to kind of portray. And I, I and I framed it that each section was a new meeting because that's kind of how I, I perceived it, how it was sort of the story unfolded. And um, it, yeah, and, and it's weird because, you know, you have people that uh, they, they would say things like one of the critiques was that. I wasn't a slick enough salesperson, but in real life, no, these were just average people. So right. the people that would pitch this weren't some, like there wasn't some main person that was, you know, a preacher like person that could kind of get everybody under their spell. It was people just basically pitching this to their friends and family and, and not everybody's that eloquent, but it was, it was more what was happening that brought people in. It was seeing these fancy houses and seeing the nice cars and seeing their friends making money. And I, like I said, I would say 90% of the people that came out to the meetings joined. So, you know, I, I can take the criticism about the, the shaky camera work and stuff, but the critique about like, this isn't realistic that um, it said that I, that it was too jaded, that it was uh, about human nature, that it was, um, that uh, wasn't realistic that people with money would fall for like all those things. Um, well, no, that's none of that. Like none of that got, none of that was, was, was my issue uh, at all. Like it, it was, it, it was very realistic. You know, once I read it, like, I, but then again, I have more experience. And the other misconception is that you have to be stupid to fall for a Ponzi scheme, or you have to be stupid to fall for crypto, or you have to be stupid to fall for a, a, a pyramid scheme. But the truth is, most of the people that fall for these types of scams, you know, aren't stupid, especially if you can explain it to them so that it makes sense. You know, th then they go because they're, you know, they'll they're like, OK, well, that makes sense. Like, I can see how that would make money. And so they, they you know, it's the guy who works at Tire Kingdom who's super, super, 
um, suspicious because he's he doesn't quite understand the scheme. And as a result of that, and I don't mean scheme in a bad way. Everything's a scheme, you know, mm-hmm. buying something cheap, fixing it up and selling it. That's a scheme. It's just, you know, it's a scheme to uh, rehab a house. But, you know, the guy at Tire Kingdom who's not quite savvy enough to understand the scheme, he's the guy that doesn't want to participate. And he's more weary of spending his money. But if you're a CPA and you're making $100,000, $150,000 a year, and this actually makes sense to you, and you've never heard that a Ponzi scheme or um, a pyramid scheme is illegal, then I could definitely see how you could go, oh, I could see this. This makes sense. But the problem is people don't just don't, they don't do the, they don't do the math. It just can't continue to grow forever, which means somebody is going to get stuck holding the bag. You know, that's. Well, the- yeah, and, and the other element that really uh, gets people involved is like, so let's say you go out to a meeting and this is what would happen. So let's say you're like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get in this. And as it grows, especially at the beginning, when it starts catching a a lot of like heat and more and more people are joining quickly. So it got to the point in these things where like at first, you know, it's a small group, but then people would be like, okay, I'm in. So they would kind of be competing. And so let's say you went out to a meeting and you weren't that person. You're like, okay, I'm going to wait and see. And then the next week that person already moved through and rolled. So in a week, they made $80,000. Well, you look stupid. And right. like that, that's a powerful psychological thing. Like that fear of missing out. Like imagine, you, you know, you, you come out to a meeting. If you had gone, you would have made $80,000. And people fear losing uh, almost more than they, they do gaining because now they, they feel like they were an idiot. So now they, they jump in. And yeah, that was another thing that happened over and over again. And that was a sales tactic that people that were, and I, I just think they believed it, so they would say it. But if you were running the meeting and you're like, look, you don't have to join, but this guy said, I'm not going to join, and he would have made $80,000. So do you want to be that guy? Right. right. And even if the numbers don't make sense, we're talking $80,000 cash, and you could be in and out. Like the smartest guy, the funniest thing, when I look back, is there was this guy that they brought in, and they gave him a free spot because he was the top car salesman in the area. So they, they give this guy a spot and I kind of tried to portray it. The actor that did this, he was like a little over the top, which is funny because he's actually a Shakespearean actor, but <laughs> there's this guy that was a car salesman in real life. So they gave him a free spot. He collected his money. He didn't bring in a cert, a single person, even though that was the expectation. And he was right. gone. Yeah. He was like, Oh, I can get, I can get 30, 40 people. Right. You know, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I often thought to myself, and in the movie, I kind of have it where he kind of gets kicked out on purpose. But in real life, I think about that person that actually was this car salesman and they got a free spot. They collected all the money and they were gone. I'm like, that was the smartest guy in the room because he collected his money. You never heard from him again. And he didn't bring any of his friends or family or anybody into it. So if you were just going to make this money and be gone in a week or two, what do you even care? Like, you're not the one that's going to get in trouble. You're not the one that people even remember because of the way this grows so fast. So, you know, I, I find it interesting that you have all these um, critics and, and people that are like, oh, this isn't believable, whatever. And But part of that's because it's framed as a pyramid, too. I mean, it wasn't framed as a pyramid in real life. 
So hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to show you something. I don't know if you've, if you've ever seen this. Oh my God. Do I have it? Is it? Here it is. Oh, I have it locked too. I'm going to show you something. You're going to love this. So I have, I have a guy who I wrote about. His name is Blaine Davis. He ran a Ponzi scheme. He actually ran three Ponzi schemes that we know of. The first Ponzi scheme, he was working as a bartender at Red Lobster. He managed to raise a million dollars, never invested it. But eventually, after spinning these guys, telling people he was investing in Forex trade, he was Forex trader. So you're pitching your coworkers and people that you meet while you're mixing them a drink and convincing them to give you money to invest in Forex trading. Hmm. Like, that is stupid. How did he do this? I mean, if he's just working at Red Lobster, how did he do it? He's actually pitching customers and people he works with and friends of friends. They all know he works at Red Lobster, and yet they're giving him money a million dollars. Wow. So one guy gave him like 150 or 200,000. Well, what happens is at some point, he's spinning and spinning and spinning these people at, at, eventually, right? Um, to the point where they show up at his house. And I actually have the video. Hold on. Look. <laughs> He's still having him sign a paper saying he'll pay him 80000 in the next week. I think I've heard of this. Was this a, did you cover this on your channel before? Um, Not on my channel. Why don't you read it? I, I did talk about it on Concrete. Bro, it goes, they give him such a hard time. But I mean, it reminded me of the two guys that, that pull your guy into the back of the, the gold's gym and rough him up. These guys showed up at his house, like their video. <laughs> we want 80 grand. So uh, he, had, he, he eventually ends up going to, to trial on this years later, um, you know, and, and found guilty. He blamed the whole thing, said he had given all the money to this guy who was um, who took off to Europe with the money. I mean, literally, he went to try. This is what a con man the guy is. He actually went to trial and tried to convince a jury that he gave all the money to this mysterious, 
you know, this mystery man, this internet, internet, they called him the international man of mystery. He, he, <laughs> right. And they're like, so you gave him the money. He was supposed to invest it. And he took off to Europe. Yep. That's what happened. And he went to trial. This is a couple two, three day trial. No okay. transactions. No phone call that they're like, you got no phone calls to this guy. You've got no, like we, I mean, he just blatantly went in. They just tore him apart. I mean, he lost across the board, mm. but I mean, that's what a comment is. He went into trial knowing it's all bullshit. You didn't lose the money. You spent it. They even have hit like they have all his bank statements where they can show like you deposited this guy's $30,000. And then you, you went and you spent it on, on your car payments and your house payment. And then this guy gave you this much and you traded your car in and got another car. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you, we, we should see where the money was spent. Like, what are you talking about? That there's some guy you were investing with where, hmm. where's the money, you know, where, how do you have phone calls, emails, anything? He had nothing, just a, just a bullshit story. But I mean, like, so it's like everything you're saying is, you know, like it, it's totally believable. Like I didn't have a problem believing it at all, at all. Well, so, so what do you think is like the mechanism really that gets people? Like, if you can have somebody at Red Lobster raise a million dollars, what is the mechanism? Is it that fear of missing out? Is it? Um, well, I, I guess every scam. Let, let's face it. I mean, I kind of, as you went through this, one thing I noticed is every scam is the same. It's like give me a little bit of money and then a lot's going to come and then the lot never comes. Right. That's like every single one, if you want to break it down. But what do you think the psychological thing is that somebody like that can talk people into a million dollars? It's funny because it's, it's, I think it's confidence and a little bit more knowledge than you've got. Like I, to, for me, listen, for you to convince somebody that this scam is legitimate or that you're going to make a bunch of money, you really only have to have confidence and a little bit more knowledge. If you have a little bit more knowledge on a subject, you seem like an expert because you know more than I do. So if you say you're an expert and you know more than I do and you sound confident and believable, you know, that's confidence is just believe, you know, it, it's sincerity. Like, I, I truly believe your, what you're saying. At the very least, you believe it. So if you have those things, you can talk people into pretty much anything. You know, and, and I think that also not needing the money, not coming off desperate. And there was a, a I was locked up with a guy named Ron Wilson. And, you know, his big thing was like, like, I don't I don't need the money. Well, well, how do I know this? And how do I like he's like, well, then. Don't don't invest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'd be like, well, well, he'd go. I mean, you can leave. Like, have have some. You know, there are or there's hors d'oeuvres here, and there's you know there's some buffalo wings, and there's some some drinks, and you know, eat and hang out with everybody, and go home. You don't have to invest. Well, yeah, and, you, and even in the story you sent me with uh, Vitaly when he was trying to raise money, and of course, this is he's trying to raise money in a legitimate fashion, but he would say something like, you know, I've got 20 other people or was it somebody else in that story where he's like, I've got no, no. 20 other people, you know, that you're right. He was off. high pressure though. Yeah. Like he was high pressure. He, he would pressure you. He'd be like, you know, if the guy was like, well, I need to talk to my wife. Like, like that's not my approach. I'm not going to try and belittle you. He would, he would belittle the guy. He would, he would say, Oh, what, what do you have to, does your wife dress you? Like, bro, you got to ask your wife, like who's running your house, bro. 
You got to ask your wife. Like, you know, he would try and like embarrass the guy. No, man, it's not like that. He goes, what are we doing here? Like, are you making decisions or not? She didn't trust you. Are you not running your household? Like, I mean, it's like, fuck, like I would never say those things. Mm -hmm. Um, But he did, but his was also volume, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And and he would, um, yeah, he would, he was, he also made it sound like everybody else is, same thing you said, everybody else is making money, but you're not. The train is leaving, mm-hmm. you know. It's interesting and, uh, to say that because that was actually a line that was at the real thing. You know, the the train is uh, leaving the station. You know, you yeah, know. no, I, I remember that from the thing. You, like, uh, yeah. the train is headed to Baltimore or something. You're either on it or you're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was it Baltimore? I think it was uh, Boston. Boston, still mm-hmm. close. I can't remember everything. Um, yeah, that. Um, I well, very so, much... many, so many things are this. I mean, how many of these FTX and look, the FTX thing I find is interesting because you have like, um, uh, well, it, it's the uh, the teachers pension fund in Ontario. They've got like 95 million that's in it. That's the pension fund for the province up here. So you have like these legitimate and you would think that people running these funds are smart, right? So they're putting a... Yeah, ninety-five million. So well, you know they're like, legitimately they're questioning whether or not that that kid that said he's worth you know twenty-two you know bill he was a billionaire and they're questioning like if that was even true at this point. Well, how do you know? Like the thing is, I think that remember I said like everything old is new again. Like how do you know with crypto that it's not just repackaged? I mean, until you pull until you ask to pull your money out, the fact is that. You know, you could be told that your money's earning any kind of return or anything's happening. Uh, as you said, you could always pay some people back to a certain level. I mean, Madoff, it was the same thing. So if somebody cries and they're like, oh, this emergency, I have to pull my money out. You could do that for a couple of people. Now, if there's yeah. a bank run and everybody does that, you're screwed. But uh, I mean, even um, how many things are really a pyramid scheme and and... You just don't know because the economy is, you know, good enough. Um, you have good times. Money keeps flowing. You know, the worth of houses and everything else keeps building. It's really only when the the tide kind of comes down that you can, you know, what happened in the 2008 crash that you kind of see what's going on. And, um, and that would be kind of the pitch for these things too. It's like, well, how is this different than what the government's doing where they're, you know, printing money and, 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 you know, it's, it's going to be pretty hard to like here in in Canada, you know, we have the medical system, we have the retirement, we have all these things and you have baby boomers are getting older and older. Like how is, unless you have a huge population growth, how is that, how how are you not going to run out of people? Yeah. How are you going to sustain that, that retirement? Yeah. From a tax base. Yeah. So, I mean, even the numbers don't work in terms of that. So there's lots of ways to justify it when you can say the government, how are they going to make this work? They don't have the numbers. Well, I think the the truth is, is that Americans are taxed much higher than they think, you know, like 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 you guys have kind of almost kind of like a flat tax, like you get taxed at a certain rate, you know, and and, and it's and for us, it's like it's large, but we get taxed in so many different ways. If you start adding it up, it's actually massive, you know, and then we spend money. The government spends money on a ridiculous amount of things 
uh, here too. Like, you know, the amount of money they spend on, on the military is, 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 you know, is, is outrageous. I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm just saying that, you know, people are like, oh, we get taxed that, you know, we have a low tax rate. Well, do we, you get taxed for your house, you get taxed for, you know, sales, you get taxed for like, everything is just tax, 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 start add, add that up. It's a lot. It gets outrageous. You know, it's like if, if you added all that up and it was 35 or, or let's say 40%, people would, would go, that's insane. And then, but in Canada, if they, you know, yeah, but you're just getting taxed, you're getting taxed, what, 45, you know, 50, you know what I'm saying? If you add it up, it's like, it's not that much more. Yeah. It's, you know, but, um, I mean, I'm not saying, but you know, you guys do have a lot more benefit, but then we're spending so much more of our, you know, of our, uh, 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 the government is spending so much more on, on things that you guys aren't spending your money on. Um, yeah, we, we benefit from the military because you have a strong military. We don't need that military because you guys have it. Like who's going to attack Canada, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a <laughs> United States would flip out. Um, right. What was it? I thought somebody said, uh, well, you don't see con Canada complaining about, uh, about, um, illegal immigrants coming in and somebody was like yeah well that that's because they have the greatest wall in history the united states you know like who's coming in you know who's you know what i'm saying like who's going through the united states to get to you guys or so but but the interesting um, thing is we're bringing in an unprecedented amount of immigrants now now we have a different system. So, you know, we have, a, I don't know exactly how it works, but we have like a point system. So a certain level, you have to have a certain amount of money or um, uh, education level or whatever, but we're bringing in something like, uh, you know, 400,000 a year. And wow. um, yeah, because the thing is same problem. So the families aren't reproducing themselves. Yeah, like, you need the growth. Yeah. You need yeah. the tax base. So, I mean, that's where I kind of mentioned how ironic it is about the the pyramid, you know, and running out of people because we're we're actually bringing in people from other countries because there's not enough babies being born, and you have more and more baby boomers and other people that are going to be hitting, you know, retirement, going to have more and more medical needs, and like right now we have a thing going on in Canada where, like, in the state in the province I'm at. Like when I was a kid, it was never any problem. Like you could get any medical stuff. But now if you go to emergency here, sometimes you have to wait 12 hours. Like the lines are getting longer and longer because you don't have enough personnel. They don't have enough care to treat everybody. So you're bringing people in and, you know, you're trying to use the tax base from that to cover all these expenses. And same problem, you kind of run out of people. And you're, but you're qualifying the people that are coming in, correct? Yes. Yeah. That's, I mean, I don't have any problem with the, uh, the quality of the immigrants. I mean, it's a completely different demographics. We're pulling people from India, China, all these different places, but, uh, we're bringing a lot of smart people over, but, uh, it's just interesting because you could see that they're, they've done the math. They know we need to bring this many people in. It's not as like, we're doing this to be charitable or something. Right. We're bringing people in because they need the tax base. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's cause it's also funny because I mean, th that's people complain about, oh, there's too many people in the world and we're not going to be able to support all these people. The truth is, is that, you know, we're having fewer children, fewer people are being born 
in the world than ever before. And it's, you know, in, in 20 years from now, it, it, it'll peter out like it, it's going to it's slowing down dramatically. Shoot. And there's some countries like Russia and um, Australia. There's some countries that they're, they're actually every year they're decreasing their population. You know, Russians are having fewer and fewer kids. You know, Australia is desperately trying to grow their population. It's stagnant. Lots of countries are stagnant or losing. Um, yeah. So the the Vitali story, the um, um, uh, uh, it's uh, atonement. Mm -hmm. So what? So you you read that one? You liked that one? You thought so? You thought the Michelle Braun was going to be a, a big part of the the whole story, and it was just a, a small kind of a. Yeah, well, it kind of comes at the halfway mark. I mean, think about it. Like when you're, you obviously know the whole story and you maybe heard it in bits and pieces, but when you're reading something in a narrative, um, you kind of, your mind's predicting where it's going to go. So right. um, I, I really love the part because you get to the point where um, it, it was, it was like a movie where all of a sudden he realized that uh, he thought that, this whole company who was raising money, like he's a stock guy that's raising money. He thought that uh, he was legitimately raising this money for a company. And then it even gets to the point, like the, the people that were taking the money weren't even connected with the company. Like he was at, out at a presentation and the guy that was presenting it didn't know these people. So he thought that they came with that guy. So as a result of that, you kind of have this situation where this guy had started raising money and they just cleared him out. And he was kind right. of on the hook in terms of like, they were smart enough to put things in his name and stuff like that. And so there's a, a scene where uh, you're in prison, I guess this is the aftermath and you're talking about this. And you said to him something that I was thinking in my head is like, why didn't, because they were it, all the, they kept asking about um, the people that were investing money. They wanted the stock certificates. So, you know, he was, it was like a hundred or 200,000 or something like that, that they took, but it was like a $5 million raise. And then he right. was going to issue the stock. So if he had just issued, if they had issued fake stock certificates and, you know, printed it up as like, you know, Photoshopped it or whatever and sent it out, he probably would have kept raising and probably would have raised it, you know, a few million dollars. So you ask the question, you're like, why did they stop there? Like, why did they just cash out at this point in time and not raise more money? And, and that was what my thought was. So I thought as the story was going to progress, we would um, find out why they secretly actually hadn't gone and raised more money with the, what the trick was. But then it was just kind of, no, they were just dumb or whatever. You know, they just, well, I mean, they're smart enough to run a scam, but not to run it big enough. Yeah, Michelle Braun. I don't know what her. I don't know what she was thinking. She just she got over eager, saw the money, and in you know, and and just started grabbing the money. And Vitaly, obviously, you know, he just wasn't in on it. So he he thought he was going to do the right thing and just tell as many you know and and stop the whole thing and and go to the didn't realize he was he was the mark. You know what I thought was great was that they showed up. And he thought he was having a meeting with people at the company. And they were saying, no, those people were with you. And he's like, no, they were with you. No. 
you know? So I thought that was, and it's funny. Yeah. Cause that scam in and of itself is a great scam. And I, I remember I told him when we were writing it, I said, bro, I'd have fucking taken all your money. I'd have raised, let you raise the whole 5 million and taken it. But just like I said, I, I'd have come up with the certificates, given him the certificates, had you raise all the money, taking the money and then taken off. She takes yeah. a couple hundred thousand dollars. It's stupid. Yeah. And you could have taken off with that money and gone somewhere where, you know, no extradition or whatever. And you could have had more money to kind of get out of there. So it, it was interesting. But, you know, again, it's kind of life is stranger than fiction. And then the story goes on in a different direction. So I kind of like those uh, twists and turns because, again, it's it's real life. So overall, that was that was a good story. It's unfortunate how like everything kind of played out for that guy. But, you know, you as the title indicates, you kind of have a redemptive ending to it so i like that story um you know what's interesting about that what you were saying is you know that's the thing about these about writing true crime is like you can't you have to work with what happened like you can't craft the story like mm -hmm. like you were saying like that like i thought that was the story i thought it was going to go on and then suddenly it goes in a different direction but but that's what happened so you can't craft it like how do you craft it and to me it was still a natural progression because I, I had to tell that story because and in, in its entirety, because that's what caused him to lose his license and go on this other path. So, um, well, it's kind yeah, of, a, I, it's kind of like the movie psycho where that girl gets killed. So it's kind of neat when stories do that. Cause it, it throws you cause you think it's going a certain direction and it goes another direction, right? Like, you know, the whole beginning of psycho you thought was going somewhere and then, you know, you thought you're following this lead character and then she gets killed off and it goes another direction. So I think, you know, that was pretty cool. And it, it's a great story. And, and, you know, it's, it's funny because you have in this thing uh, about the Lamborghinis and all this. And like one of, I'm, one of the projects I'm working on now is a, a sports car uh, documentary and it's called uh, straight six. Like, but this six is kind of like the way Drake has it and um, or sorry, flat six. And the way that uh, Drake has it, the, the reason is like the flat six is the engine in the Porsche um, with the six being like a term that people call Toronto. So it's kind of, we have all these exotic cars up here and it's a whole um, it's interesting because our weather sucks, but apparently other than like LA, it's one of the biggest markets for exotic cars. And, you know, when you, you think back, like obviously the Viper in the movie, like a lot of people and, how many of these scams do you cover where like guys are driving the fancy cars or whatever and people see those and get in like it seems to be a thing like Vitaly in his story uh when he took one of his uh jobs kind of like sort of a a, a boiler room type job they gave him a uh a yellow Lamborghini you know just a sort of a starting thing so you right. see, see these things time and time again where people just kind of go wild over um over these cars and then that's sort of like inspires them well and it's the same thing with the the car where his his he and his girlfriend go to lunch with her girlfriend and the guy is driving a lamborghini and he was like how do i get one of those you know and the guy was like ah, come by the office we'll talk about it you know so same thing yeah the lamborghinis and the ferraris are a big part of that story too because he did. He's had, I forget how many Ferraris and Lamborghinis he's had, you know, but that's the first thing these guys do. These high, high pressure salesmen 
first thing they do when they start making money is go out and buy a, a ridiculous sports car. Yeah, and then you get asked, well, how did you how did you get that? Oh, uh, my Forex thing, <laughs> whatever, you yeah. know, you can, you know, it's used almost like a sales tool. And I have that in a movie, like there's a scene, I don't know if you saw where they're confronting me and they're like, oh, you're showing up and kind of like um, showing off with this car or whatever. I'm like, this is a, it's a part of the sales presentation. Right. And it's true in a way because, you know, people always want to, um, they always have a fantasy of what they would like their life to be. And if you can paint that picture that you can give them that fan fantasy, it seems to be a way to draw a lot of people out. I mean, you're, you're in Florida and when you, you know that like in Miami and these places, there's so many of these cars. And I, I've always thought to myself, I wonder how many of these cars are like legitimate and how many of these cars are bought with like illicit proceeds right because it's such a and usually like if you and it's interesting because your story you know i think you bought was it an audi or something like you bought like a nice car but you didn't go crazy with it yeah i mean you had the money to but um was that because if you gave me i always said you know if you gave me 20 million dollars right now like I'm not buying a Lamborghini. I'm not a Lamborghini. Even though it's funny, people see me like that. A lot of a lot of these guys have this perception of me that watch the channel. Like they think I'm a certain way. But the truth is, I would probably just go get a four, you know, go get a Bronco. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I might get a little bit nicer of a vehicle, but I'm not buying a Lamborghini. I just it's not gonna do that. Like I I I can see getting an Audi or um, but even then, I, I'm not spending over $100,000 on a sports car. You know, I, that's not me. Right. Well, what, did you fear like being too flashy or that was just your personality? Well, I think part of it's my personality, but I also think a big part of it at the time was because at the time it it was more of my personality. Mm-hmm. Like at the time, it, that was something like, but it at the time, a, a portion of it, not all of it, but a portion of it was that I didn't want to draw too much attention to me. You're drawing, you're driving around a bright red or a bright yellow Lamborghini. It's, it's look at me, look at me. And that's great. But it's also, you know, the problem is, is what happens if people do start looking at you now it's, it's an issue. So yeah, Yeah. I'm not, but you know, what's wild about this is that because of the shortage of supplies and everything that's going on, um because like i i made a lot of friends in the different like the exotic car communities and the porsche communities so the past two years these cars have all appreciated in value so like (laughs) like a lot of stocks have gone down housing is kind of stagnant or a little bit going down now but these cars are going up in value because the limited supply with the chips and all these other issues so it's kind of the only time in history where it's like kind of outrageous like up here in canada they're selling way over like so if you go in and you want to buy a porsche right now and you want to put a deposit down you're going to have to wait two to three years to get delivery of the car so the actual like used cars are going more like a hundred thousand more than if you put a, a down payment and and wait the time because people want it now so all the values have gone up so it's kind of a it's a wild thing where like cars are appreciating yeah, that's what the the used car market too is shot up through the roof. Mm-hmm. Like people yeah, can't get. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I didn't know about regular like well I guess the exotic cars. What about cars straight out of the factory from Ford? Like those have to be available still. 
it's probably not going to affect them. I don't them. know as much about those. I mean, I, they're pretty available, but the the exotic cars, it's harder because like uh, Porsche specifically, they were hurt by the chip shortage. And then there was like a boat that sank with all these like fancy cars on it. So really? yeah, yeah, Bugattis and everything. So what's oh, happened now is it's like the time frame is like two to three years. And some people don't even know if you can get an allocation. And then also there's certain there's certain cars where there's a um, a limited run. So like for Porsches, it's like a GT3 or GT3 RS. And it's funny because you have all these people who are like super wealthy and they they do very well in their own industry. And they have to like beg to get these cars because they're all competing against each other. And there's only so many allotments. So it drives the prices up, but it's also an interesting phenomenon where you have these, like I have a, fr a friend of mine and he's like, how many cars do I have to buy to get an allotment for a GT3? And they're, they, they had like three different cars that he had to buy. Like he has to buy now in order to get a chance to get allotment for a certain car. But then at the same time, if you buy that car and get it delivered, as soon as it arrives, it's already appreciated $100,000 in value. So a lot of them flip it. So it's just kind of, it's a crazy thing that's going on right now. Mm. Well, yeah. So the the movie, uh, back to your your movie. So where where is it now? It, what platforms are is it on? So it's on uh, Amazon Prime. Uh, I know it's in the U.S. It's in Canada, and on YouTube. YouTube. Um, it's on the Apple platform. I think is it. Uh, I not iTunes. I think it's uh, Apple TV now. Um, the Google platform and the Google Play. And then there's it's going to be on like Roku. There's a bunch of different platforms. It's going to be um, available through. Um, so the distribution company is My Spotlight Independent, and it's going to be like growing in terms of where it's available. It's going to be available worldwide. But um, for sure, like if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it for free, right? So it's all over there. And um, it, it's like, it's wild because that was my first movie. Uh, it came out 2004. And like, I haven't, or sorry, 2005, it was in theater. And oh, by the way, like, I should say this. I, I got this movie into theaters and like, that's a whole wild thing on its own because like, this was a low budget movie and um, I got it into regular multiplexes. Like I got it distributed in Regal Entertainment, which was like, you know, your multiplex theaters. I think I got it in like 11 different States. I got it in Florida, Texas, California. And um, I really had to work hard to kind of pull that off at the time. That was sort of an unknown thing because I wasn't with a major studio or anything like that. So I'm proud of, of how I was able to get it distributed. And, um, you know, that was kind of my first, uh, my first movement into Hollywood. And, you know, I've done a bunch of different movies and TV shows and stuff since then. Right. Um, but I, I, I feel that um, I, I'm glad that I, I'm able to come in here and talk about it. Cause I feel that it's something that's kind of gone, go, gone unnoticed because you know, there was a lot of people that saw it at the time when it, it came out to theaters, but then it kind of disappeared and it's been like 20 years. And um, I thought, you know, your audience, it would be, you know, they're obviously interested in scams and all these different things. And um, I, I thought it was something that your audience might have an interest in, in seeing. I think my audience uh, might try and pull it off. 
I mean, seeing how, seeing how, you know, how the, the pitch is, you know, how it's, it's not, it's not what's great about it is like, it's not super technical. Law enforcement often questions him, not because he's suspected of a crime, but because they find him fascinating. He is the most interesting man in the world. I don't typically commit crime, but when I do, it's bank fraud. Stay greedy, my friends. Support the channel. Join Matthew Cox's Patreon. Oh, and like, uh, I should say this, because this is kind of a funny little thing. Uh, so Quentin Tarantino's dad is in the movie. So oh, yeah, that's right. Who was he? So he's only on for a second because I basically cut him out. So his name is Tony Tarantino. Uh, and so wild story. I mean, you know how like life kind of imitates art. Um, so Tony Tarantino, somebody introduces him to me and says, okay, this is Quentin Tarantino's dad, which he's 100% Quentin Tarantino's dad. And, you know, pay him a little bit of money and he'll be in your movie. So I thought this is great. So at the scene with the pool, he's in the background where they're all kind of like, I'm standing up there and there's a couple other guys. I think the judge is up there doing the presentation. And um, so he originally he was in the movie like a lot more. And so the guy's like slick. So Tony comes in and he do this. He's like, hey, um, I, I just got off the phone with my son, Quentin. He's excited I'm doing this movie. And like, I was in my 20s, like a first time filmmaker, like I'm crapping my pants. Like, right. oh my God, maybe Quentin Tarantino will want to help this movie. He'll maybe want yeah. to help distribute it or or whatever. I'm definitely maybe putting his dad maybe in this there. is a, co- a future contact. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll put him in. This is awesome. And it, it's funny the art imitating life because again, I'm getting sucked in. So then what happened is um I I see this red carpet where Quentin Tarantino is, and somebody asks him about his father, and he spits on the reporter. So then I like frantically Google this and it turns out that he left it. So he left Quentin Tarantino's mom when he was like 16 and basically abandoned him, never saw Quentin. And of course I'm paraphrasing, but, and then later in life when Quentin was successful, all of a sudden his father tried to come back in his life and Quentin's like, F you. Right. Right. So Quentin hates him. So I'm like, Oh, great. (laughs) But he's playing off it, and now his dad's trying to play off his son's name by yeah. getting bit parts in movies. Yeah, so then I'm like, I'm frantically trying to pull him out of the movie because I'm like, okay, great. Now nobody's going to want to have anything to do with this project because, like, Tony Tarantino is all over it. So even in the credits, it's listed. I, I don't have them in the actual credits, and on IMDb it's listed as, like, um, uncredited and stuff like that and and you know what in retrospect i shouldn't have done that i should have left him in because that's kind of part of the story <laughs> and right. in the story he kind of does part of the presentation and breaks it down just like he's one of the people on this thing and i, I think i made the wrong move on that i should have just left him in because it's kind of an interesting tidbit of like again art in and you know imitating life and like so i got i got conned uh on that one <laughs> so <laughs> but who knows man it's, it's you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of these guys these producers that will do stuff like i was contacted by this producer in la right when i first got out i was in um at the the uh the atlantic oh, yeah the atlantic magazine 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Forbes magazine did, uh, you know, did they did uh, articles on me. So I got reached out to by a bunch of producers. Well, one of the producers was a guy in Los Angeles. And, you know, he's he was like, look, I, you know, I, I work with a lot of big actors. Like he's pitching himself. Right. So then I look into him. And luckily, I had ended up meeting with another producer. I had gone to um, Puerto Rico for a talk. Right. So I, I had gone there to speak in front of uh, some entrepreneurs and, you know, they pay you a couple thousand dollars to fly you in for like the day. And you kind of tell your story and you fly back. But while I was there, I actually ha- just so happened to meet with another producer. And so I was talking to her. And while I was also talking to this other producer in L.A., and she explained to me that what was happening with this guy. And when I looked at after she talked to me about it and I looked into him, I was like, wow, that's exactly what's happening. And she was like, look, here's what's happening is like this guy. Th- there's a lot of guys like this. You know, they'll raise half a million dollars. They'll pay themselves two hundred thousand or three hundred thousand dollars a year. They'll get a big named actor and pay him fifty thousand dollars to be on set for a day or two. Now he's not really a big name actor. He was so people know who he is, but he doesn't really act anymore. Mm-hmm. Or he's like, yeah, right. For instance, let me put it this way: like this guy had Steven Seagal, who was in maybe ten minutes of the whole of a whole movie. He had Mike Tyson. When Mike Tyson was at his lowest. Right. You know, so he had all these guys that, and and of course, then they're on the movie poster. They're on the back then on the DVD, you know, whatever you want to call it. You know, they're on the poster. They're in two scenes at the beginning of the movie and maybe at the end. They play the, you know, the DA or something. He's a big part. You hear about him the whole time, but you never see really see him except for one or two times. And they give him fifty or a hundred thousand dollars, and everybody else shares another the, the remaining two hundred thousand dollars of the film or a hundred thousand, whatever, to make this film. And then that's it. And she goes, So this guy, he does this. She goes, and then his investors, they all make their money back, and then maybe even some. They might he might get rid of that movie for six, seven hundred thousand. So everybody makes money, but not a lot. It's not a blockbuster. She goes, and he makes one or two of these movies a year, and he does really well. She goes, but those movies aren't really going to go anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. um, and that's exactly what was going on with this producer. Like you could look at every one of his movies and that's what it was. Like every one of them was just horrible and they all had some guy, but that could have been your Quentin Tarantino. You could have been, you could have put Tarant- Quentin Tarant- or Tarantino on the thing. Cover. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the thing is like, it's, it's kind of good that I got to see this whole pyramid thing when I was in my early twenties, because I, I came from a very small town in uh, in Canada and it really helped prepare me for Hollywood. Cause you know, I lived in, in, um, in Beverly Hills for like, uh, well, Newport beach for like 15 years. And uh, there's so many things I ran across within that industry. I mean, it's just obviously plagued with like sociopaths and stuff. Right. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think I told you there was, I was uh, dating this one girl and she, uh, she says, Oh, you've got to meet my dad. Um, he, he's going to want to invest in one of your films. And he just got back from China, um, major businessman. Great. So 
so this guy pulls up and you know he's in a limo he's getting driven and he takes me out to an expensive restaurant for steak all this stuff and then he's like he's living out of his hotel room so that was kind of interesting but he takes me out to dinner a couple of times and he's like he's raring to go like he's going to invest in, in this movie whatever the movie was at the time and so he picks me up the next time and he says okay uh, i'm going to take you somewhere secretive so he drives me to this warehouse now keep in mind this isn't like a movie story this is real life right all right and he's got like all of this stuff in storage there like these fancy computers all of this stuff and he's like okay i have all of this stuff here these are my stock computers that i use to access my money i i went away to china for a while and um I, I didn't keep up with the payments on this just because I wasn't around. So if you can pay $15,000, then I can get this stuff out. I can log in with my computers and transfer you hundreds of thousand dollars and, and invest in your movie. Now I'm good. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I knew, I, I knew from my previous experience, what was up. And by the way, uh, my girlfriend says to me, well, why would you do it for 15,000? I'm like, oh, that wouldn't have been the end of it. Then it would have been like, oh, well, this happened, but now I need to get these trucks to take, you know what I mean? It would have been one yeah. thing after the other, right? So I'm like, okay. So I just kind of like, when certain people like that, the way I dealt with it is like, I just like pulled back and I was just like, I'm removing that person from my life. Because it's like, to me, I don't know how scary that person is. So... I end up, uh, I'm out to dinner with this woman that I knew and I'm telling her the story. Well, it turns out it was her ex-husband and he wasn't in China. He was in jail for fraud. And not only was he in jail for fraud, but the reason he, um, he picked me up in this limo was that uh, he lost his license because he was you know, caught for uh, drunk driving or whatever in his Lamborghini of all things, of course. And uh, so this whole thing was a ruse, but uh, you know, I, I, I ran into that so many times in Hollywood that, and you got to just pick up on things. And if there's anybody that ever wants to like, again, kind of dissect how to like avoid things like this, they're always again, the same way. It's always like, just give me a little bit of something and then I can give you a lot in the future. And, um, you know, you, you see this over and over again. So, uh, and, and even like I, I, I heard your vice story, you know, like that wasn't so much of like a deep hardcore con, although they, you know, didn't pay you the money, but there's that kind of shady side of, of Hollywood. And another one that I saw a lot of is, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but um, getting people to, to pay for their headshots and stuff. So yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, you heard of that, right? So I, I met this guy, I had the unfortunate uh, thing of meeting this guy one time. So I'm, I'm casting for my movie he goes all, um, I'll help you cast this. So, um, gay guy. And so I, I didn't realize it was a scam at first, but he'd have all, he'd do these radio ads and everybody would come down and I'm sitting there with him. And it was so funny because he was really good. Like he wore immaculate suit or whatever. And he actually would judge the person on how they dressed and he ha would have a different rate. He's like, you know, we have this filmmaker here. Um, I can put you in all these movies, but we have to do your headshots. 
And the headshots ranged anywhere from $500 to $1,500, depending on how much he thought he could extract. So like there was, and, and there's things I didn't notice. He was like, he got, he's like, this is a tranny. I didn't even realize it. It's the Asian. He's like, this is a tranny. And he's like, this person's probably insecure. Plus they have a Louis Vuitton bag. And he's like $1,500. And sure enough, they, okay. So, so one by one, he's going through and just sizing them up and having different rates for each one. And then he had his gay boyfriend take the pictures. And like, this guy was like 19 years old, knew nothing about photography, just like simple shitty photos. And then he would never do anything with it. He would just get these headshots done up and that was the end of the scam. But it, it was funny because the amount of people he was, and he would just paint this picture of how he could get them in Disney films. He could do this, he could do that. And just would keep talking. And, and the way he was able to size people up by what belt they wore, what shoes they had on, everything was just like insane. And um, I, I didn't have anything to do with him after that day, but then he ended up calling me back a few years later and wanted to do business again. I'm like, you know, like you said, I'm good. Right. But he's like, sorry, I was on cocaine at the time, blah, blah, blah. He sort of apologized. <laughs> <laughs> so you see this stuff time and time again. So just, with people, if you run into, if you get called by an audition and they think you're perfect for the part, but you have to buy headshots, that's probably a, a red flag. I, you know, it's funny. Uh, yeah. I, I, I knew a guy who had been paid. He went to LA. He was going to be an actor. And this was 10 years, 10, 15 years ago. You know, the internet's just coming out. And he got called to, you know, an, an audition for like a porn, to be like a, in a porn. And they said, look, you know, we'll pay you the standard edition fee to audition. And they gave him like fucking $300 or something. And he, sign here. You have to audition. So we need to have you masturbate. And they gave him KY jelly and they they videoed him jacking off. And um, and, and he, he, you know, and the thing was, they were like, and it lasted forever. Like, he's like, every time he would get to the point where they would go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. We need you to lay on your, on your back. We need you. They would switch him around. He's like, so I'm, I'm doing, he, so it went on forever. <laughs> and then they took the video and he had signed a, a release to allow them to, to show other, to show producers so they could use this. They had this whole thing, what they said he was signing, but what he was really signing was a release to place it on a, on a um, website. Hmm. Later, like a year or so later, somebody went to high school, found it on the website. Hmm. And, you know, because he had never heard from the person. And it, it was just like, it was like they tricked him into signing this piece of paper so they could put his, his, uh, his jack off film on the website. So hilarious. Um, wow. You know, people get, and by the way, I did get, I eventually, I did get paid by Vice. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, really? How much do they give you, if you don't mind me asking? Or is it? Uh, oh, it's, it's, it's not much. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I'm not going to say because I signed a confidentiality. Okay. No, 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 that's fine. <laughs> but, um, oh. but yeah, it wasn't like, it wasn't the 20 grand that I wanted. You know, it wasn't really, you know, but I, I, well, you can know on, I think I told they they told me they could give me 10 grand. It wasn't quite that either. But so um but they did, you know, the, the, like after I did the the concrete there and I had called the producer 
and left a couple messages. Their attorney called me. Mm. And so I just went back and forth with the attorney saying, look, you know, I, I said, look, I, I sued Warner Brothers from inside of prison and cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars. I said they could have come to me and settled. They could have given me 20 or $30,000 while I was in prison. They wouldn't have to spend a couple hundred thousand. I said, imagine what I can do from outside, from outside. Mm. And, you know, I just, you know, alluded to what I was going to say. I'll, I'll have some guys in prison write up a lawsuit that it'll cost you 50 grand to fight. Right. You know, mm -hmm. so I, I know, you know, I just went back and forth with her and eventually they came back. They said, okay, look, we're going to, we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to give you this. Is this okay? I was like, yeah, that's fine. Like, you know, something's better than nothing. But um, yeah, it, it was, it, they were, they were perfectly ready to just walk away, mm -hmm. take it, take my story and walk away. And, you know, I'm just not, I'm not going to, I'm not okay with that. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not the person that's going to sit back and be like, oh, okay, you got me. No. So, but anyway, um, so what are we going to do with Vitaly's story? Well, I have some ideas on, on this. Um, you know, I, I don't want to overpromise or whatever, because uh, again, I don't want to be one of these people. Um, I have a lot of distribution contacts um, with the way that, you know, this movie, All I Need is going and stuff like that. And, um, and I have a friend that I, I might, Actually, you might uh, um, might be interested in interviewing this guy. His name's uh, uh, Kirk. Uh, I, I, I can't pronounce his last name, but he was actually the uh, attorney for oh, what's that girl's name? You know, it, it's the woman that killed uh, the Mormon guy. Famous oh, um, Jody Harris. Yes. Uh, so the defense attorney. Um, so I have this like show uh, called RBT radical body transformations where people are, like losing weight and, and slimming up. So he's been on, on that and he's lost um, a bunch of weight. So he was the attorney for that. And then it caused him a lot of stress because he was defending her and he was like put in that position where right. he had to defend her. Right. And then um, he would get all this hate mail. Like there was so much he went through that he, he got cancer. He blames the cancer because he said he was really stressed going through this whole process. And um, so he kind of, uh, and he wrote a, a book on it and, and everything. Interesting guy, smart. And um, he's like kind of like a, a true crime reporter now. He does a lot of things with like Nancy Grace and different, I, I don't know the name of all these different channels and stuff, but right. he's connected a lot with a lot of those true crime networks and stuff like that. So I thought about putting you in in touch with him because I thought um, he's already working in a realm with a lot of those type of companies. And, you know, there's so many different ways to take a story like that. Like you can, you know, put it into segments like you, you were saying and have it episodic or, or different things like that. So I, I like the story and I just started brainstorming about it and I thought about like what I could do with it, but I didn't have like a, a clear cut answer, just kind of some directions I wanted to go with it. Yeah. Yeah, I just I thought you might be I thought you might find it interesting because like so many of the people like know Vitaly. And that's the cool thing is like everybody likes Vitaly. Like everybody still likes him. It's not like there's people out there like, I'm not going to I don't want to talk to anybody. Like he contacted people. They're like, yeah, bro, I'll be interviewed. Absolutely. Like, you know, so he's saying, look, I mean, out of let's say 15 people we could interview. Let's face it. You only have to interview seven or eight of them to have yourself a good 
couple of hours worth of a documentary and it's a great story. So oh, yeah, he's, he's very likable. Like even in the story, it was usually his partners that were addicted to drugs or um, unreliable and he would still kind of keep them around. It wasn't like he even like really was um, backstabbing or cutthroat with them. He, he kept guys along that were dead weight long after they kind of helped them. Yeah. So th there was not really any point in the story where he was like malicious in any way or, or whatever. So he's good from that point of view. I mean, obviously the whole thing with that, that woman, he, he didn't even know that it, that was a scam. He was just trying to raise money. And I mean, but he yeah. was doing all the right things to raise the money. You know, he's obviously a fast talker and uh, does what he needs to do and puts together, or at least at that point in time in his life would put together kind of a boiler room and stuff. But, you know, I think sometimes people get caught into, they think, well, sales is like a scammy, but it's like, everything's a sale. Right. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but the, he seemed like uh, he was a nice guy that people liked him and stuff like that. So I, I think it's a great story. Yeah. I, I well, you know, it's funny too, is like, you know, the, you know, the guy, the one guy who, um, who died, I think, uh, I think he's not, not Royce, not the guy who killed his, uh, not the guy that killed his girlfriend, the, uh, his, his other buddy, gosh, he had so many names. Um, the one who overdosed, mm. right. Mm -hmm. Or supposedly overdosed like the, um, so the girl V I've actually met with her at a Starbucks. Like she contacted. Mm. So did his girlfriend, you know, the, the girlfriend who had left. She contacted me like mm. like people that you would think I wouldn't even be able to contact. Like I have their phone numbers. I can call them. I don't know that that I know V would be in, is interested in being um, is interested in being uh, interviewed because it V and V was like, she's like, that's not what happened. But she's like, she's like, Rico definitely killed him. She says, he killed him. She's like, but you make me sound like a drug dealer. And I'm like, well, you were selling these guys drugs. And she goes, well, it's not really like that. I mean, yeah, I have drugs and I sold them, but I, you know, I was doing other stuff and it was like, okay, look, you know, she doesn't dispute the story though. Just, she doesn't like the way I portrayed her. She's like, it's basically like, I'm more than a drug dealer. Okay, great. You can come on and say that like, but she doesn't dispute what happened. And she's, you know, um, Anyway, it could be great because like there's footage of Rico robbing the bank. Mm. You know, um, anyway, you know, if you went through the story and, and saw the story, like you can see all the pictures, like there's just everybody in the story is good looking. Everybody's driving a sports, a, a Lamborghini or a Ferrari. Like it's the whole thing. There's just tons of money involved. There's strip clubs. There's just the whole thing is, is super hyped up South Florida sleaziness. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely interesting. Like I, I, I would love to find some, you know, a producer that could do something with it. Cause I have other projects that are on, that are moving forward. There's not much I can do now. So I'm kind of like, okay, well let's move forward here mm -hmm. on this, on this, some of these. Um, so, and I've got a few of those projects. Yeah, I would definitely pursue some leads. I think it's worthwhile. Um, and you know it is it, it's captivating i mean it kept my attention the whole time once i once i got into it so uh, there's definitely something there i mean you're you're a great storyteller you know like and and i'm glad that um you know you've turned your your skills like you took you took your skills 
from being a storyteller in a different type of way. And I'm a storyteller with what I do. So I understand that you took your skills and you turned it into a positive, which I think is awesome. So, you know, you're, you're obviously a creative guy. Look at your artwork, right? So you just turned your creativity uh, to the powers of good rather than bad. So. Yeah, we got to, yeah, I just got to make it pay off. You know, the problem is I don't pursue, I'm not pursuing it as much as I should just because I like what I'm doing so much right now. You know what I'm saying? Like I like my life, so I'm not pushing as hard as I should. Uh, well, it's hard. I mean, that's why, look, I mean, there, there's so much BS in Hollywood. That's why, like I even said to you, like, I don't want to make you any promises or whatever. Like, I'll, I'll pursue some avenues because there's so many people that like tie up projects and um, we kind of talked about this off air, but they'd say, you know, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And it takes forever and nothing ends up happening. I mean, that's one of the reasons I did my movie the way I did is I'm just like, you know what, I'm just going to go because I had it originally like a scripted project and I'm going to cast people. And it's like such a process. And I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to go and shoot this movie and do kind of like a fly in the, on the wall documentary with it and incorporate that into the story so that I don't need much money to do it. And I find sometimes that's the best way. And, um, you know, it, it, it's so cost, it's so cost prohibitive to really do a narrative um, regular movie now with the way unions and everything. And it's so hard to make your money back on that, that that's kind of why I went in the direction of documentary because as you you know articulated, you can keep your your expenses low. You can um, you you can shoot interviews and use the B roll and all the all that stuff. So uh, there's definitely a, a way to do it. It's just you know it's um, pursuing some different distribution avenues, and then you know it's it won't take a lot of money to do it. But um, you you, you want to make sure that you get your value out of it because you know you just spent so much time putting this together. Yeah. Well, and you have so many people. So, you know, you, it's like, yeah, there, there, there are definitely, there's so many people willing to participate that it, it deserves to be done well, mm -hmm. you know, and it, and it is, it is a great story. Like, you know, you can tell, you can tell a great story badly and mm -hmm. it just ruins it, you know, and you can tell a great story, you know, in a, in a great way. And then you've got a phenomenal film. So well, well actually, you articulated that on the vice one because you were saying that when they did it and they did it without you and they just kind of threw it together that it was worse than what you had written yeah so it was yeah. They, they botched the whole thing like all the good stuff like they they completely missed like the really great stuff but i also think that those that well and i th actually those things could have been done with some b-roll uh him telling the story and the b-roll but i you know, you're also limited on, that's the problem with a series is you're limited with time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're like, Hey, we, we need 41 minutes. Like that's it. That's all we've got. How much can you do? You can only tell so much. So. Yeah. Um, well, what else is going on? Anything else you want to talk about? Are we wrapping this up? What are we doing? Uh, I guess, uh, like you said, if you want to see, um, all that I need, the, uh, the pyramid scheme movie, um it's on a number of different platforms but the easiest one is amazon prime you can definitely see it there um i'm doing this movie right now called uh flat six I, i've got a couple of partners with it alvin um it's chinese name so i don't know how to say it but uh and i'm like you i i uh I'm dyslexic so sometimes i have a problem with the uh, saying these names and stuff but uh, uh alvin king and uh tim king 
I think it's like, but it's spelled like K-E-U-I-N-G. And they, uh, the Alvin is actually with, um, he was with Marvel Entertainment and he worked on like some of the biggest sort of superhero movies. And right. I'm like the storyteller of this. And then he's like the visual guy that's going to shoot and do the editing. And um, we're, we're working on that up here in Canada. And there's just all these great stories of these people that have, you know, crazy money and these supercars and kind of, uh, how they interact because there's all these things now i didn't know it at the time but there's like these car meetups and these uh secret drives that they go on and all these things that are a lot of fun and it's it's its own world and then they trade the cars with each other like here you take my lamborghini i'll take your ferrari uh and so it's kind of a fun visceral type of project that i'm working on and um i have like i have a a project called radical body transformations, which like we've helped literally thousands of people lose weight and get into shape. And I connect them with uh, top level coaches. And then I even have like an event. Um, the next one's in June in connection with the Toronto, um, the uh, Toronto uh, pro show, which is like kind of a bodybuilding contest. But then we have a transformation show that we do where it's not like hardcore bodybuilders, but people that, have lost weight um and some of these people are the story is part of of what we present so we read out their story before they walk on stage and you have people that have turned their lives around lost 100 150 pounds all kinds of different things have overcome different disabilities have ms uh were in abusive relationships were addicts and they've turned their life around so um people can always reach out to me about that my my website's James Hergot, H-E-R-G-O-T-T. Um, I'm sure you can throw it up. dot uh, com and um, should should be able to find out how to get to these other other things from there. So just uh, just working the grind and doing things. And uh, uh, I really appreciate you having having me on and giving a platform to um, to tell people about these films because I I don't think I've talked about that movie. In really 20 years you know at the time there was a, a press run where i'd go and do all these things and um but it's it's great to talk to somebody that really knows about uh about pyramids and has you know been around so many people and interviewed people that have uh ran those things and you have an interesting insight into it so i really appreciate your time hey i appreciate you guys watching and do me a favor if you like the video hit the bell uh, hit uh, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell so you get notified of videos like this. You know, um, share the video. Everybody keeps saying like, oh, I get all these comments that are like, bro, I don't understand why your channel's not blowing up. Would well, you just share my channel, share my video? You know, uh, leave a comment. I I I respond to honestly. I respond to. I I, I read all the comments pretty much, probably eighty or ninety percent. Some of them slip by, but and I probably respond to. 20 or 30 percent like some of them it was just like good job then you know i typically just hit like the heart button and thumbs up you know but honestly i respond to a ton of the comments and if you anybody wants to email me my email is in the description and also i'm going to put james's contact information and everything in the description and i'll put a link to the movie um i bought it on on i just bought the movie on uh um on uh, uh youtube you know, it, it was, I think it was like 10 bucks, you know? And so 
I'll also put the link to, you know, I'll put the, I'll put his uh, social media stuff down there and we'll put the, so I appreciate you guys watching and see ya.